welcome to episode four of the Earwig Review. So, we've got our six posts, as usual. We'll do our reading. But, before we get into it, I've received a message, an email message, that I wanted to share on today's episode. This message is from someone named Carlos. Subject line, the Earwig Review is ranking very well in Canada. And it goes like this. Hello, how's it going? Hope all is well. I have some cool information that might interest you. Your podcast, The Earwig Review, has good performance in Apple Podcasts, rankings, bracket, last 30 days, bracket. Bullet point, position 137 in the category Fiction, Canada. This data is provided by podstatus.com happy podcasting carlos from podstatus well that's fantastic i'm very happy that our show the earwig review is the 137th fiction podcast on the canada stats according to podstatus.com and Carlos. So, Carlos, how's it going? As you assumed, it's well. Thank you. Now, let's get into our posts for the day, see what happened this week, and then get into our readings here. Going back to September 11th, we had a story called The Mink. I was on a walk and strangely I saw this mink I used to know sitting on the bench. I hadn't seen him in a while, and I was thinking of just walking by, but I decided decided to say hi. His hat was pulled over his eyes, and he looked upset. I asked him if he was alright. He said he was good. I said, okay, and I thought about leaving him be, but then I said, Are you sure, man? He said that he'd been having a rough go of it lately. He lost his wallet, and his boss was a dumbass, and his buddy told him he doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. I asked him if he wanted to grab a bite. He said no at first, but I insisted. We went to McDonald's and hung out for a bit. It was good to talk and eat that food. 
I tried not to talk about myself too much, but sometimes I got carried away. I was trying to show him I related to what he was going through, even though it was different. It's good to have a bite to eat and compare notes. I wouldn't mind catching up with the mink again down the road. He's a good guy, and I don't think his buddy should have ditched him. The mink. So, I think the main thing going on here is this bit about they go to McDonald's they're eating and he's the the narrator's listening to the mink talk about everything that's going on what are his problems he lost his wallet huge pain to lose your wallet his boss was a dumbass. Well, a lot of bosses are dumbasses. And his buddy told him he doesn't want to be his friend anymore. So, that's, that's always a rough, rough thing to happen as well. And they're at the McDonald's, hanging out. He's listening to him talk, and the narrator says this. I tried not to talk about myself too much, but sometimes I got carried away. I was trying to show him I related to what he was going through, even though it was different. And I think sometimes when you're talking to someone, listening to their issue, you can be inclined to tell a story of your own. And some people are happy to hear your side, what's going on with you. And they can relate to it. And they can maybe feel that what they're dealing with isn't so crazy. And to be understood. But somewhere along the line, the past few years, I got it into my head that that's not always the best course of action it's not good listening by some standards you got to think about who you're um, who you're dealing with and some people don't want to hear what you have to say you're supposed to just listen and that's what being a good listener is hearing them out listening not bringing in your side of the story your opinion etc which I do I can understand in some cases, but in other cases, it's not a conversation. That's called hiring a therapist. People maybe think that it's correct to be doing that kind of therapy on one another to be to engage in a friendship. But if, but a friendship should be a relatively balanced exchange on both parties end. And I think 
that's what the narrator that's the point of view of this post here's this guy and he sees this acquaintance at best this guy i used to know so this guy what does he say i hadn't seen him in a while and i was thinking of just walking by he's not close enough to this person to um you know definitely say hi there's a chance he could have just kept going but he stops and he tries to do the right thing and the guy even and the mink even says that he's good but the narrator persists and he does the right thing you can see that he's clearly not good and he doesn't listen and he ends up being a better friend which i think also has something to something to be said for that what it means to listen to someone they say hey i'm good i don't need to talk and you're like okay fine bye it's not being as good of a friend as saying i can tell it's not good so i'm gonna ask you again and that leads to them going and hanging out getting their meal at mcdonald's talking connecting changing sharing notes is what he says he says it's good to have a bite to eat and compared notes and that's what you got to do i think that's where i would land on on this compare notes of people share stories see how you went about it see how they went about it calm it down maybe feel a bit better in the end and then he and then at the end he the the narrator reverts back and he says the mink's a good guy i don't think his buddy should have ditched him because the mink lists those three things that went wrong lost his wallet his boss was being a dumbass and his buddy didn't want to be friends with him anymore. The first two didn't matter as much. The third one, that one mattered. And that's that's the point of view from the narrator in the story of the mink. Nice thought. And you'll see this McDonald's theme carries through the week. That was the mink. All right, let's go on to September 12th, Skull Soup. There were three long pieces of painter's tape set out in a row on the ground. The sticky side faced upward, and each of them had 18 french fries stuck onto them. One was from McDonald's, one was from Burger King, and one was from Carl's Jr. Some guy was riding his bike along the sidewalk and ran over them. They got tangled up and went into his wheel. He rode all the way home, and when he got off his bike, he was angrier than he had ever been in his life. He wanted to know how the hell all that greasy fry tape got stuck into his wheel. He tossed his bike onto the lawn and was too worked up to even untangle the tape. He went inside and his wife was happy to see him. He started yelling at her and ranting about what had happened. She looked out the window 
and saw his bike there. He went upstairs and slammed the door. She sighed and went outside. She wheeled his bike into the garage and went upstairs. She quietly opened the door and he looked away from her. She stood there. She asked him how work was. He told her he didn't want to talk about it. She sat on the bed and put her hand on his back. He said that it wasn't fair. He had a meltdown and said that he didn't even want that bike anymore and that it was all bullshit. His entire life was all bullshit. And then he began to cry. She sat there and listened to him until he stopped. And then she told him that he was right. His job was stupid and that he wasted his life she said she wished she never married him and that he should kill himself. He knew she was right and he asked her if she would help him do it. She said no. He had to do it himself. She was busy. She went downstairs and sat on the couch. She turned on the TV and read an ebook on her iPad. Eventually, she got tired and went upstairs. He had hung himself and was dead. Idiot, she said. She dragged him down into the kitchen and butchered him into pieces that she could manage. She froze his legs and arms and his torso, but she put his head into the crock pot and now she's boiling a stock to make skull soup. You might have heard me take a moment and type out a word. I forgot a she at a certain point, so I snuck it in there into the post here while I was reading. I'd be curious to know if the pace of that was noticeable in the way that these are read. To, to take that break, to type, to make that edit, and then continue on, if that's a distraction, or if it's really neither here nor there. I imagine it's neither here nor there, but, you know, something to think about. This is a long one. I think it's, it's straightforward. I think what's interesting about it is actually how the some of the themes from the mink, the previous post, carried over into this. First, this um, apparent obsession with fast food. We got McDonald's back on the second post of the week. And then we have a mention of Burger King and Carl's Jr. as well talking about these different kind of french fries that were almost uh, laid out in this this trap for for this fellow as he as he rode his bike down the street so there's these three pieces of tape on the ground and there's all these little fries stuck to them evenly kind of like um a row of nails on the road that'll burst your tires, but in this case, they're french fries. It's 
guy goes over them, they get tangled in the wheel. He loses his temper. And this kind of breaks his mood. He has a meltdown because of this. He goes home and suddenly, because of this small event, he feels like his whole life is bullshit. And I think that can happen. Going about your life, and sometimes the smallest thing leads to another, and it it's, can kind of just feel like everything's melted down off of this one little fixated thought. It has nothing to do with anything. It's French fries on painter's tape in the road, getting in your bike wheel, nothing. But suddenly everything's bullshit. You can't get out of it. That happens less than less now than in certain times in my life on, on my end, but it can still happen. He had a meltdown and said that he didn't even want that bike anymore and that it was all bullshit. His entire life was all bullshit. And then he began to cry. She sat there and listened to him until he stopped. And then she told him that he was right. His job was stupid and he wasted his life. She said she wished she never married him and that he should kill himself. He knew she was right and he asked her if she would help him do it. She said no. He had to do it himself. She was busy. So, in those moments, something sets you off. It's all bullshit. Everything's dumb. Nothing. It's all for naught. I don't even want this bicycle anymore. It's not even broken, but it's tainted and it's. I'm done with this bike now. Doesn't make any sense. Melt, total ridiculous meltdown. You get in a mode where you go and talk to someone about it, if you're lucky. Maybe. And you tell them all of your all of these thoughts that are going on in your mind. My job is dumb. Wasted life. Big big claims that are not rooted in anything. They don't make sense, but you mean them. You think you mean them in that moment, in a true meltdown. And then the other person's always going to calm, they're going to try and calm you down. And slowly get, talk you off the ledge or wait around while you go through all this nuts, this, this bullshit and, um, you know, try to, uh, try to, try to get things under control. But in this case... It's different. The wife says, he did waste his life. She wished he never married him and he should kill himself. And then, in that moment, he says, you're right. But he can't, he needs, he has, he says, will you help me do it? And she says, no. She's busy. She has to go downstairs. She goes downstairs, sits on the couch, turns on the TV while reading her ebook. Well, he does it. 
and then he was dead, and she calls him an idiot, and chops him up into little pieces, and boils his head into soup. That's the story. The reality, the reality of this, is that should the should the wife tolerate this meltdown? Point one. Is it is she being a good companion to sit and listen to this? Or is it something different? And maybe she shouldn't tolerate it. Get this guy to be able to deal with himself, not have these meltdowns all the time. Two ways of looking at that. Hold on. We got a cat. We got a cat here. Looking for trouble, looking for food. Right by the mic, seeing if he's got anything to say. Breaking the train of thought. This is a common occurrence. I'm sure many people understand. Halfway through a sentence, cat comes in, does what they do, and there goes the sentence. You gotta rewind the brain and get back to it. Ultimate distraction. Guy here. So, two things we're dealing with on her end. This wife we're talking about. Does she tolerate it? Does she not? There's point one and point two. A good scratch there. Ooh, good scratch. Second issue. Oh my god, all this recording gear is getting messed up. I gotta send him out of the room. Come on, buddy. Come on. Too bad I had to I tried to let him in, but it's causing a huge, huge fuss. And now I'm looking at the keyboard. Posts gotten decimated. Okay. Maybe I'll edit that part out. It's all nonsense. Maybe I won't. So we got through point one with this wife here. Now point two. is the, the fiction of that. She, she would never say that that was the case. That maybe he was right. So that's the, that's the what if of this post. To kind of allow um, the train of thought to go down that road and, and entertain those thoughts. What if that actually happened? Because that's basically what he's asking for here. He's, he's having this meltdown so that he can find someone to tell him that it isn't the case, to talk him out of it. Because he doesn't actually believe this, but he feels that way, and he's looking for someone to talk him off the ledge here and to make him feel better. To tell him the opposite. He says, my life is bullshit, so he's and looking for a response for someone to come and say, no, your life's not actually bullshit. 
He says, yes, my life's bullshit. No, I really, you gotta believe me, it's not bullshit. And on you go down the road. And that's what those conversations are like. So, as I say, should she even tolerate it in the first place? Should he, or should he be shunned in those scenarios? Have to deal with it on his own, cool it down, figure out how to manage that on your own before bringing it onto someone else's day. And then in the end, she says, you're right. She And um, she tells him to go off himself and then she turns him into soup. So. That's the long and short of that post. It's called soup. Fun to write. Fun to go into those directions. But no real joy in reading that back. Just just doom and gloom on that one which is another impulse I'm trying to understand sometimes when you're writing you want to write the darkest most fucked up thing you can come up with and that's fun and you feel almost obligated to sometimes and then there's the other side where you write write something that good that happened something positive and and sometimes there feels like there's a falseness to that there's always kind of the difference there you're going to write the dark thing that you think maybe is real feels more real to write dark stuff or do you write this positive thing and then you start getting the territory that it's not real and it's a fantasy and it's you know childish and you should grow up and write um, real dark things I think um, always going to ping pong back and forth or find, find some middle ground that's what, that's what needs to happen at the end is a mix of both some point a point of view that's, that shows that it's not black and white a lot of stories in order for them to feel real need to have a mix of both some good things happen some bad things happen life isn't all good or all bad it's a mix of both a lot of realistic dramatic stories have that at the core of them that's how we experience life if it's all shit and everything ends in doom and gloom and there's no light at all it will feel like a fantasy of a story, a dark fantasy of a story. On the other hand, if it's all happy endings and rainbows and fireworks, it's also going to feel like a fantasy and it won't have that strong sense of realism that we're, that we're after a lot of the time. In the case of this post, it's, it's unrooted from the from the from the gate talking about these fries on the tape but on the other hand it's seldom that i've brought in actual businesses or staples from reality mcdonald's burger king carl's jr that um to balance that out so sometimes what these posts are and what's 
fiction writing can be is the trying to express a point of view trying to express what reality f can feel like or what an emotional state can feel like in reality and by creating this absurd notion of the fries on the tape in the middle of the road coming from all of these real fast food restaurants and then having the story unfold in this kind of more um, intricate internal way where this guy's having this childish meltdown that is an embarrassing uh, behavior but then ending it with this ridiculously dark desolate ending the total of it is meant to kind of um, express some new territory or reflect some way that things feel in this case there's a bit of truth to it in the in his meltdown and how that goes but the shame of that behavior is then combated with the darkness of the wife's reaction to to it and then going off into absurdity again with the the whole cutting up serial killer stuff it's not that but you know serial killer genre-esque image of her turning him into soup so that's skull soup September 13th story called mud the frog jumped off a toolbox and into the mud a kid lit a wasp's nest on fire and ran away screaming a guy put his hand in the toaster and held it there for as long as he could now he is staring at his hand and watching it blister he is thinking of when he was a kid and lit a wasp's nest on a fire. He is thinking about a frog he once saw jump off of a toolbox and into the mud. He is unsure why he was thinking of these moments. He does not know why his brain is firing these random synapses. He felt sure there was no cumulative meaning, but now he is second-guessing himself. Because if he is so sure of that, then how could that feeling of certainty be trusted? He unplugged the toaster from the wall and took it under his arm. He walked to where he lit the wasp's nest on fire when he was a kid and found only grass and wind. He walked to the construction site where he saw the frog jump off of the toolbox. They'd blown a ditch in the concrete and he could barely see past the fence they put up. As he stood there, he felt sentimental and remembered a song he heard on the radio every once in a while. He didn't know what the name of it was, but he hoped that one day he would hear it again. Okay, mud. 
all as a whole that was a better read than skull soup it felt more natural i understood the images as i spoke more clearly than than i did in skull soup could have to do with the the length of it and almost the, the pacing of it it's, it's written in lines of two instead of lines of four which i think skull soup was lines of four let me check it was lines of four and they're thick bricks of text whereas this one they're just shorter lines of two which is i think more common to what i generally do on these things if i remember skull soup was i was writing a lot of um longer prose that day and i think i was it was a day where i was um wasn't making i wasn't writing as many words i wasn't hitting large word counts in my work in the day so when i went and wrote this post i think i had a lot of energy to to get out as far as um a lot of typing a lot of things to say that weren't that that wasn't able to find a home in uh the story writing of the day so bit of mechanics there so the first bit the frog jumped off a toolbox and into the mud a kid lit a wasp nest on fire and ran away screaming a guy put his hand in the toaster and held it there for as long as he could he's got three images there the frog jumping off into the mud the kid lighting a wasp nest on fire and running away screaming and then the guy putting his hand in the toaster and holding it there and on the third one, we hang on it. Now he is staring at his hand and watching it blister. He is thinking of when he was a kid and little wasp nest on fire. He's thinking about a frog he once saw of jump off a toolbox into the mud. So we realize that those first two images were in fact the third image's memories. So we start inside his mind, memory one, memory two, then he's creating an, a new moment where we're in the present timeline, I suppose. Then he's feeling how his hand burn, and then he goes, and then he. Then we realize that those first two images were his memories as he's watching his hand, and it's disoriented, as you could imagine. Your thoughts would be probably difficult to grasp onto while your hand was burning by your own will inside of a toaster um, let alone the ability to even catch those thoughts but that is the territory we're in he's unsure why he's thinking of those moments he does not know why his brain is firing these random synapses so it's his idea that the memories that are being triggered by this pain that he's feeling in his hand are random random memories from his life he felt sure that there was no cumulative meaning but now he is second guessing himself so he 
thinks they're random, but then he thinks, well, what about the combination of the two? Is there a pattern to these memories? Does the one memory uh, and the second memory amount to some piece of information? He does not know, he's unsure, and now he's second-guessing himself. Because he is so sure of that, because if he is so sure of that, then how could that feeling of certainty be trusted? He unplugged the toaster from the wall and took it under his arm. I'm, I'm looping back to this idea because if he is so sure that they have no meaning, how can he be sure of the fact that they have no meaning if he is sure of the fact that they're random thoughts. If you, How can you know your thoughts are random is a paradox in itself. Because if you knew your thoughts were random, then how could you trust the things that you know? How do you discern the difference between a random thought and something that you believe that you know? And that's what he's thinking of while his hand is in the toaster. But he unplugs it from the wall and he takes it under his arm. So he stops burning his hand and he, and he goes. He walked to where he lit the wasp nest on fire when he was a kid and found only grass and wind. He walked to the construction site where he saw the jump, the frog jump off of the toolbox They'd blown a ditch in the concrete, and he could barely see past the fence they put up. So he found nothing. He went to those actual places and, and did not find any meaning. As he stood there, he felt sentimental and remembered a song he heard on the radio every once in a while. He didn't know what the name of it was, but he hoped that one day he would hear it again. A random song pops into his mind the song is so random he doesn't even know the name of it and he is attached to it he has he feels a connection to that random thought he doesn't even know what it is and he and he hopes to find it again and and that speaks to his train of thought before that even if the thought was random he still there's still a sentiment there and he can't deny that sentiment towards a thought. Even if you know that it's random or you don't understand the meaning of it, you can know that the way you feel about something and you can trust that and you can hope, you can look forward to returning to it in some form. So I'm, I like this this one. It's more fun. It's a, a little cerebral, obviously. Um, I think the... To go back to the Skull Soup one, about this guy who ends up hanging himself, and then we pick up the next day of putting the hand inside of the toaster, there's clearly this kind of self-destructive train of thought that's lingered in the week on uh, on these posts there's no indication in this post as to 
why the person's has his hand in, in toaster. But it's a happy ending after all. Even though he finds no meaning, he knows how he feels and feels some kind of um, nostalgic uh, connection. The story's mud. Okay. September 14th. McDonald's coffee. Here we go again with this McDonald's bit. McDonald's coffee. I'm sleeping in this moment. I'm dreaming of two types of potato chips. I've woken up sleeping on top of an air conditioner that I've never seen before. Half of my face is frozen and the other half feels sunburnt. I've gone upstairs and realized I was in the basement of McDonald's. I got a hash brown, a ketchup, and a coffee for the walk home. I'm walking home now, drinking this giant coffee. I'm wondering how I ended up in the basement of McDonald's. The last thing I remember before that was looking at my new desktop background and trying to remember something that I had forgotten to write down two days ago. I know you might not believe that this actually happened, but it did. I'm not making up things for the sake of general interest. I'm not just sitting here day after day fabricating bizarre scenarios for no reason. I really am drinking this McDonald's coffee. That's a fun post. So, beginning, the narrator says, I'm sleeping in this moment. I'm dreaming of two types of potato chips. I've woken up, sleeping on top of an air conditioner that I've never seen before. Half of my f face is frozen, the other half feels sunburnt. I've gone upstairs and realized I was in the basement of a McDonald's. So, the narrator begins in a dream of potato chips. I assume... This character is falling asleep on a bag of potatoes. A bag of frozen fries. My face is frozen. I'm dreaming of potato chips. We're in a McDonald's. Come on. Gone upstairs, realized I was in a, the basement of McDonald's. What does he do? Gets a hash brown, some ketchup, and a coffee for the walk home. Present tense. I am walking home now, drinking this giant coffee. I am wondering how I ended up in the basement of McDonald's. The last thing I remember before that was looking at my new desktop background and trying to remember something I'd forgotten to write down two days ago. So there's your time warp there. And there's a bunch of present tense. I'm sleeping this moment. I'm dreaming. I have woken up. I've gone upstairs, I got my hash browns, I'm walking home. But while speaking in the present tense, we're also realizing things that become past tense as soon as they happen. So it's a, it's a weird form of, of writing. I wouldn't recommend doing this for a long piece. For a short piece, it's fun to experiment with the tenses, but 
for something longer, this would be a, um, a needlessly eccentric way to write. It's just, it's too much. I think. If I ever did that, I think I would be, uh, I think I'd go back and make it all past tense or do something reasonable. I'm walking home now, drinking this giant coffee. I'm wondering how I ended up in the basement of McDonald's. The last thing I remember before that was looking at my new desktop background and trying to remember something that I'd forgotten to write down two days ago. I know you might not believe that this actually happened, but it did. I'm not making things up for the sake of general interest. I'm not just sitting here day after day fabricating bizarre scenarios for no reason. I really am drinking this McDonald's coffee. And if I think about what, what I'm doing, writing these stories, writing these posts, spending all of my time doing this stuff, it's, it's nice to be so clear about what's actually going on. But denying it in the sake of the fiction, for the sake of the fiction and lying about drinking McDonald's coffee to the narrators, lying in order to tell a more simple truth and somehow it makes me happy to do that why not just say I'm writing I'm making up stories and saying weird things for the sake of general interest. I'm fabricating bizarre scenarios for no reason. I'm not actually, I'm not drinking this McDonald's coffee because that's not fiction. And that's what this is. It's always going to be fiction. And fiction writing is telling things that aren't true in order to tell the truth. So it will always feel ridiculous and it will always be a game. And I think, I don't think I'll ever get to a place where I am able to take it fully seriously, take the act of doing it fully seriously. You'd think there's certain professions out there that have a very direct utilitarian um, purpose. They're doing something, some form of work to do something useful for someone else. Many easy examples of jobs that are undeniably useful. Fiction writing, there are hangups there. Um, hard to imagine getting over that. I think it'll always be there. Maybe for some people they can they see it clearly and they're not spinning their wheels on it. For me, I'm always wondering, wow, I, well maybe I should get an actual, maybe I should do something that's actually useful never stopping doing this and also knowing the value in my life from 
the stories and uh, you know after these year after year understanding the value of it but still guess second guessing it so that I think the the paradox of fiction being the lie and needing it to be that way to get to the truth to get to a truth or something that feels correct or that expresses something correctly it's beyond what can be expressed in your average reality or the tools of reality that that are capable that you're capable of accessing through your the the actual events of your life you need to make up things in order to talk about what's actually going on and that's what this is about i'm not making things up for the sake of general interest i'm not just sitting here day after day fabricating bizarre scenarios for no reason i really am drinking this mcdonald's coffee it's a great post and i'm i enjoy it Let's move on to September 15th, Perfect Squares. I put on one of my old jackets today. My wife had sewn a patch into the elbow a couple years ago. The thread had come loose in the wash. I pulled it and it came out. I cut it off, but then it seemed like the rest of it was coming out too. So I took out the thread and the patch. If I wouldn't have picked at it, it probably would have been okay, but I was procrastinating my work a bit and it got the best of me. I feel upset that it came off since it was very kind of my wife to have fixed the elbow of my jacket. I know she will say it's a strong reaction to something she could easily fix again. I have the patch here. She cut it out from one of my old shirts that shrunk too much in the wash. It's not a perfectly cut square. I guess my wife doesn't cut perfect squares. Maybe that's why I got so damn sentimental looking at it. I'm going to the grocery store now, and my elbow may stick out of my shirt when I take a broccoli. Contrary to everything I talked about in McDonald's coffee, fiction, and and the, the whole thing, this is all just normal real life events so much so that it's absurd to even write it so there is the anti I'm going to say antithesis antithesis of everything I just talked about say one thing you do it one way well here's the uh well here's the opposite and that also is true do i realize i'm doing this before when i sit down and write it no i'm not but it stays with you that's the one thing that doing this show has shown me very clearly is these trains of thoughts day after day through the week stay with you It's not like you just 
start totally fresh every day. There's a long train of thought that you work through when you write. If you're writing a story, if you're writing a post, if you're writing anything, maybe you pause and you don't work on it for a day. Maybe you don't work on it for a month or even longer. But I think that you pick up where you left off before. Slightly superstitious, impossible to measure. But I see that in these and I know what it's like to return to a story, work on a story for a long time, drop it, return to it again. It's You pick up exactly where you left off. Your brain, your mind does not forget where you were. You work through it. And, and maybe that's why these writing these stories for a lot of people, you're haunted by it. If you don't, if you're working on a story, you never get to the ending, you never consider it finished it stays with you in your mind forever until you just get it under control and those those lines those train those trains of thought lines just they they need to find a home they have to go somewhere they have to um they have to be reckoned with so i see proof of that in this all this is 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 uh, the opposite of what was written the day before in order to to test the theory. On the other hand, I felt guilty that this square, this patch that was on my elbow fell off. And I, well, I, it started to come off and then I was picking at it and then it all came off. And now it's not there. But I the I felt sentimental to it because it was very kind and very lucky to have a, someone who will fix things that are broken in your life thinking back to the skull soup post and the <laughs> the connection between the two is also very one side and another side so on the skull soup we have this guy who has this complete meltdown and this woman his wife is kills him and tells him to kill himself and then boils him in the soup and this one very different feeling grateful towards that wife who actually helps him out does a you know very easy uh easy thing that you could do for someone else that make them uh make them happy and um and there you go feeling very guilty about it feeling very sentimental about something that doesn't matter is also a big part of it sometimes get it you don't understand why you get attached to clothing clothing's a weird one i think certain t-shirts certain whatever Maybe it's all the experiences you accumulate when you wear a certain sweatshirt and it stays with you. It's a form of comfort. Maybe it has to do with the fact that these clothes, we need them to survive and it's, it's wired into us that way. We need something to protect us from the elements. And so we have a kind of a deeper feeling towards them 
and it's spiraled completely out of control in our culture, obviously. Um, we need, we want new clothes every season. We gotta look this way and that way, and it's all representative of this and that, and you get ridiculous ideas in your head. We go into the thrift store yesterday. I needed a tie for my cousin's wedding. There's, you know, I see this one kind of sweater. I don't need a sweater. I didn't buy it. Then we leave and then I'm thinking about the sweater. It makes no sense. I don't need it. Didn't, I didn't buy it. It's good I didn't buy it, but but I keep thinking about it afterwards. Should have bought. It. Why didn't I just buy that sweater? It's only ten dollars, eight dollars, nothing. I liked it. What if I never find it again? Just useless thoughts. Why? Why do we think about it? Why does it stay with us? Maybe we're idiotic and and our thoughts are completely random and pointless, or maybe there's it's almost there's some loop in our wiring about needing clothes assuming that's true that it's a, ba a the basic need of having clothes is, is legitimate and it's it's a real impulse for our survival so we get in this little feedback loop thinking that that would have been useful for some reason it's leftover thoughts from a from you know millenniums past and then we get obsessive and whatever but very lucky to have someone to help fix up our garments get sentimental this is all reality talk compared to the post from the day before known as McDonald's coffee and last up soda September 16th soda there are three types of pops can, bottle, and fountain each is great in their own way it is difficult for me to think of my ultimate preference I will sit here and consider it Please give me one minute to think about it. I've looked within and found the answer. My favorite is fountain. I'm remembering all the times I got a cup from a restaurant and got to fill it up myself. I've always had fun doing that. There are no free refills when it comes to bottles and cans. There is no sampling. There is no ice. That said, I'm always happy to have a can or a bottle. Tonight we are going out for dinner before the baseball game. I don't know what kind of drink I will end up with, but it might be a good idea to get a bottle. It might cost a bit more, so I'll see if it's a ripoff or not, and then I'll make my choice. That way I can drink some at the restaurant, some while we walk, and then I can sneak it in and drink the rest at the stadium. Similar to the last post, another reality piece. 
still thinking about McDonald's, thinking about fast food. We we began talking about French fries. We've landed thinking about soda. It's a week of fast food themed posts. I don't know why exactly I think as well there was the weeks began with some darker ideas some darker ways of expressing and it ended with some very wholesome ones so a lot of kind of attempting to balance out the thoughts going back and forth in these posts I think in my fiction that I've been writing in the day the new story it was the previous draft that I'm working off of that I'm now editing and rewriting had the impulse to write all the dark stuff going in that direction not really holding back and having fun coming up with those ideas And then coming back to it and seeing how absurd a lot of it is. It's too dark. It's not even... It's, just, it's pointless. It doesn't go anywhere. And maybe not lightening it up a bit, but trying to dull the edges, make it feel more based in reality. And I wonder if through that, through that writing in the day, I was kind of oscillating between these two extremes trying to figure out what's the temperature that I want to be writing in for this project as I kind of make those figure out the tone of the overall tone of it for this one and I think the trying to combine these two feelings into something more reasonable kind of um, maturing the perspective going back and forth trying this way trying that way what what's right this post soda it's banal in its simplicity and it's and its goals to you know drink pop and decide what kind of soda pop is what's the best way to drink it that said it's very fun think about Again, a harsh reality post. And that was soda. Good way to end the week. Starting at the mink. They're out. They grab their McDonald's. They have a meal. Ending at soda. We got McDonald's coffee. We got mud. We got skull soup. We got perfect squares. We got soda. And that was the week. Up to 643 posts on the Earwig Review. 643 of these and counting. Next up, I wanted to read from a story I wrote 
feels like a while ago now, but probably wasn't that long ago in reality. Something called Son of Arnold. It's quite short. I don't think I'll read the whole thing. Total of 14 or 15 pages. Quite a short story, but something I worked on for a long time. The source material for this, of what it got boiled down from, was crazy. A lot of. I worked on it for a long time trying to figure it out, and maybe what I was trying to do was trying to, as I look back, trying to figure out the level of reality that felt correct. And I think I, I found it in the end. There was definitely a big part of this particular story that I never found a home for, that I never really worked out. But but that's okay. I think I got what I needed from it in the end. Um, but a lot of learning went into this story and a lot of a lot of source material. Um, before I get into it, I'm also thinking of how I was writing a lot of screen... This started off as many forms of screenplay. And then I think this was one of the, the, the transition points where I took the, the screenplays I was writing and started to break them down into prose form. So I imagine a lot of the pacing between the past tense that you're often used to reading in prose fiction and the present tense that you're meant to write in a screenplay, there's gonna it's probably gonna be a bit bumpy there. I bet there's gonna be times where it isn't quite reading correctly between past and present because of just that gear shifting. But let's find out. Son of Arnold. Mary had lost herself out the window, staring at the wind or the road. There was nothing that had changed much, if at all, for a long time, at least since she had Seymour. Arnold looked at Mary. He was oblivious to the fact that his love annoyed the living hell out of her. She avoided looking at him and instead saw his napkin on the table, crumpled and covered in goo. Arnold reached for one of Mary's fries. She swatted his hand away and said, don't you dare. Seymour looked between the two of them, his dad smirking like a dummy and his mom annoyed to all hell. On the drive home, Seymour sat behind Mary and watched her from the side mirror. He watched her eyes following along the road, the yellow lines blurring into one another. Arnold changed lanes as they approached the light. Mary said, Really, Arnold? What? He knew full well what she meant. Whenever they were near that area, Arnold would detour off to pass the apartment that Mary lived in when they first got together. We don't need to go by that stupid building every time, Mary said. It's two minutes out of the way, what's it gonna hurt? Turning signal clicked on, Mary snapped off her seatbelt and walked into the road. Cars honked at her from both directions. For Christ's sake, Arnold rushed off after her, leaving his door wide open in the middle of the road. As soon as Mary saw him coming, she jogged into the opposite lane. An oncoming truck lay on its horn and sped towards her. Hey, motherfucker, Arnold yelled. He took a swing at the truck as it passed. 
Stop it, Arnold, Mary yelled. The hell are you doing? He grabbed her arm. Let me go. She yanked her arm back. Just let me go, okay? He let go of her arm and said, Mary, you just want to get in the car? I'm just going to walk. Just let me walk. Fine. You want to walk? Walk. Arnold went back to the car and said to Seymour, She's all right. Seymour watched Mary walk away from them. Arnold put the hazards on and drove into the opposite lane. The incoming cars lay on their horns and swerved around them. He kept a short distance behind Mary and drove as slow as she walked. They followed her like that all the way home. She didn't look back at them once. That's your mother for you, Arnold said. He muttered on about how there was no one else like her and how serendipitous it was that they met. He told Seymour that meeting her was the single luckiest thing that had ever happened to him. He said, It's a wonder a woman like that ended up with some schmuck like me. Seymour was quiet in the back seat. They watched TV on the couch while Mary puttered around the kitchen. She washed some of the dishes that had been piled in the sink. Mary, you're missing the show. Leave those. I'll do them after, Arnold said. She ignored him. After another minute, he repeated himself, and she still didn't say anything. Arnold shrugged at Seymour. Seymour yelled, Mom, come watch. You're going to miss how it ends. She didn't respond to him either. During the commercial break, Seymour went into the kitchen. The fridge door was nearly open, but Mary wasn't there. She wasn't around the table or in the hallway. He ran upstairs. She wasn't in their bedroom or in his either. Mom? Seymour yelled. She there, Seymour? No. Arnold came upstairs. He turned on all the lights. She hiding on us or what? Arnold asked. Seymour looked under the bed in the bathroom. He looked up at Arnold. Seymour followed Arnold back downstairs. Her sneakers were there. The door didn't look like it had been opened, and they hadn't heard it open either. They went outside and looked around in the dark. Should I get the flashlight? Seymour asked. That's all right, said Arnold. They went around the yard and to the street. There was no sign of her. Must have went out for some air, Arnold said. Where, said Seymour. Probably out for a walk. She already walked all the way home. Let's head in. Where'd she go? Let's put those dishes away so she doesn't have to do it when she gets back. How about that? Seymour looked up at him. He knew he wasn't saying that, saying what he was thinking. I'm not bullshitting you, Seymour. Come on, let's head in for now, Arnold said. The ending of the movie played in the background while they put the dishes away. Afterward, Arnold got Seymour to start getting ready for bed. Could I wait until Mom gets back? Seymour asked. Better to pack it in, and when you wake up, she'll be back, alright? Could I stay up, though? Come on, Seymour, go get ready. Seymour ran upstairs. He put on his pajamas and brushed his teeth and came right back downstairs. Hey, Dad? Yeah. Can I watch TV? Seymour, bed. Seymour went into his room and slammed his head down on the, onto the pillow. He listened to Arnold rustling around downstairs looking for some clue as to where Mary went. He could hear Arnold on the phone asking everyone he spoke to if Mary was there. Eventually, Arnold came downstairs, came upstairs to check on Seymour. Seymour kept his eyes closed and pretended he was asleep. Arnold tucked Seymour in. He shut off the night table lamp and closed the door quietly. Arnold went back downstairs and out to the car. From the window, Seymour watched him drive down the road. Arnold didn't get to the end of the block before he turned around and came back home. 
He went back to Seymour's room and sat at the foot of the bed while Seymour pretended to sleep. When Seymour woke up, he went into Mary and Arnold's bedroom. Arnold was passed out, still wearing his slacks and undershirt. He slept on top of the covers. The bed was still made from the day before, the way Mary had left it. Seymour ran downstairs. She wasn't on the couch, she wasn't at the table, and she wasn't in the kitchen. Arnold stood at the top of the stairs. His face was swollen and exhausted. His hair was all messed up and he smelled like a zoo animal. Go ahead and get dressed. I'll take you to the bus, Arnold said. Seymour went upstairs and Arnold set a pot of coffee. He fried eggs and put some toast out. They ate mostly in silence. They sat in the car and waited for the bus. They listened to the sports radio. Neither of them could focus on what the announcers were saying, but the noise helped fill up the space between them. It took away the pressure to talk. Arnold thought about calling into work and keeping Seymour from school. Maybe it would be better if they stuck together and went looking for Mary, but he decided against it. Best to work the day and see what comes of it. Arnold spoke over the radio. He said, Your mother, Seymour, she gets upset. And, you know it doesn't always add up, but sometimes she doesn't have a choice about how she is. Some people do, some don't. A lot do, most. Some people aren't able to. And your mother is your mother, so I'm trying my best not to be angry at her, alright? Seymour didn't completely understand what he was saying, but he understood what he meant. When the bus came around the corner, Arnold took five bucks from his wallet and gave it to Seymour. For lunch, said Arnold. Seymour nodded. Anyone tries to take it, you can tell you can show them what's what. Seymour nodded again. Meet you back at the house when I'm done work, alright? said Arnold. Alright. Seymour took his backpack and ran off to the bus. Arnold watched the bus turn off at the end of the block. That's the top of page six. Story called Son of Arnold. Haven't revisited that in a while. And I actually quite I'm quite happy with what I read there. Few things to change. A little some maybe some uh phrasing and some tenses and I noticed a period that should have been a comma. A few more commas never hurt anyone. But it all seems to remain true. These are all thoughts that I think um, I'm still interested in in a lot of ways. And, uh, and that's good. Sometimes I'm looking at some of these and I'm worried if I went back and read them, I'd feel really, um, really embarrassed and want to delete them and, you know, get rid of them and pretend like they never exist. But, but I'm, I'm happy with what I read there. I think uh, I can I can stand by that, and I like the the level of reality that it works in. And I remember having a lot of trouble figuring that out. I think that it's um, I think that's good. And I'd like to return to that one day. This kind of temperature, I guess. The uh, last week I read from Herman's Jail and that has more of a lot more of an internal um, 
territory where the, the feelings are kind of bigger than the reality. And it's there's a lot of fable-esque things that happen. He's a young kid. So the world seems a lot bigger than it, than it is in his mind. In this one, we have the young kid named Seymour, probably similar age to Herman, but told from the perspective of his dad, Arnold, where the world is a lot more grounded. Uh, and even then, there's still enough. There, There's still some pieces of drama right from the beginning of them fighting and her getting out of the car, walking down the street and following her home, and then her leaving that um, carries the story nicely. I'm, I'm happy with that. I was tempted to keep going and reading to the end, but decided I'd take a break and leave it at that. Next week, I'm going to do an audiobook recording of Herman's Jail. It'll be an experiment to read something of the entire book, the whole length, about just over 30,000 words. It's a short book, but for me, it's a long, it's a long recording, a long thing to narrate. So I'm looking forward to, to getting that going and seeing what kind of struggles that I'll, I'll have and, and how it all works out. Then I'll be able to post that as uh, my first full narrated e ebook audiobook as they say i'm gonna to have to turn the fan off for those people will not accept that as a book in a book form and if there's interruptions sounds from the outside world as you can hear even with the fan on uh, i might have to just pause and go back and edit and polish it up nicely or I'll just give in and, and the fan will be on in the background and you'll have a whole audiobook with uh, an accompanying white noise track it'll calm you down and it'll put you to sleep in the best way possible so that's going to be something for next week as well looking forward to Continuing with the story I was writing last week, um, no official title, but as I was talking about last week, um, main character is named Igor. So in my on my files, usually it's called um, Igor. The stories are all Igor, but you know, you can see even these last two, they have a person's name in the title, so. As much as I would just name it that, or, you know, I was thinking of naming it Igor the Thief. I have Son of Arnold. I have Herman's Jail. You know, does anyone care about the title that way except for me? Probably not, but um, we'll see if I, how it kind of pans out. It's early stages with that story. But I did um, carve out, I think I had about 30K or 25K draft of, of draft words that i basically um cooked down to about five and a half k so lost about twenty thousand words but um you know rendered them down to to the good ones and uh and i really like where it's at i was 
thinking of reading it this week, but it's too raw. I wouldn't. It's just too early to present it. But maybe next week I'll read a piece from from that. It'll be a lot fresher and than the last ones that I've read from uh, this prose section. But um, you know, could be could be a fun thing to do. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple. You can also listen off of the website, joshuahalalbarski.com. It's all linked up. And you can listen as well off of Substack. So there's a bunch of options here. Um, thank you again for uh, for listening to the episode. And uh, have a great week. We'll see you again.